0: You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. World Talk Radio.
1: I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Klein Hour, Life, The Power of Water, Global Warming, and Your Health. What does global warming mean? It means from the beginning of the moment of Earth's beginning everything changes every moment and when you're listening to our show and listening to all of our guests and by the way our guests are not paid to give you this education this concern every single guest we've had is like a mission they want you to learn and have a mind of your own and make up your mind what is best for you and what you would like to learn and I'm not paid and I wanted to give you an opportunity and have a show where all of us are committed to giving you the education to learn how do you live on the earth you're breathing. What is the ecosystem? But something I'm going to teach you every week with what we're going to all try to do is all of the people that we've had on the show are very extraordinary individuals, very unusual They spend their time and their lives, many said they started as youth, to be committed to concerns of others and giving their lives as a service to others. So as you listen, that's what we're all doing here, offering you a time to think. Don't listen to the polls. Listen to yourself. Learn to live away from the skin, out in the air you breathe, and learn how you are living with this life. Learn what you think you need to feel better. And there's so much education today, so much offered. Each week we've offered so much to learn about your diet. Think about it, and we'll have more. Learn about, are you allergic to the air? Are you sleeping? You're learning so much. So every week when you're learning about this, be open-minded. Use your common sense. Be like your own scientist, evaluate, listen to theories, evaluate, go do some research, and study yourself. Learn who you are. Once you learn that, you'll become a very good evaluator. You won't believe everything you hear, you will evaluate. Today we have a really exciting show. We have Dr. Eugene Halverson and we're going to listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back with a very exciting mission that he's been doing for quite some time. We'll listen to our sponsor and be right back with Dr. Eugene Halbertson.
2: To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Dr. Helveston,
1: are you with us?
3: Yes, I am.
1: Well, thank you for joining us. I know how busy you are. And... Um, I am really excited about this show today and for uh, listeners to learn about who you are and what you've been doing in Orbis. Uh, I'm going to tell our listeners what I have here. Uh, Dr. Helveston is a professor of ophthalmology at Indiana University School of Medicine and was the founder-in-chief of a section of pediatric ophthalmology. You began in 1985 an association with Orbis, which is an international, nonprofit, global development group dedicated to saving eyesight around the world. And um, Dr. Helveston, before we begin with what you do, where you're at, and your, I'll call it a mission, it sounds like, tell us a little bit about your past and how you got where you're at.
3: Well, I graduated from uh, medical school in 1960, and uh, between then and 1967, I completed uh, uh, internship and uh, training in general ophthalmology. I spent two years in the uh, armed forces uh, and then did a year's fellowship in pediatric ophthalmology. And that took me up to 1967. And between 1967 and, 19- and 2000, um, I uh, uh, founded and then uh, worked in the pediatric ophthalmology clinic at Indiana University. Mm-hmm. Uh, primarily involved in in patient care, mm-hmm. uh, research, and clinical research and teaching. And uh, mm-hmm. that brought me up to a time when I uh, I decided to um, uh, retire from the active uh, uh, care of patients in the clinic. And uh, i spent the last uh, eight years. Uh, Working first as a full time volunteer and then uh, actually as a staff member for Orbis International, uh, dealing primarily with, the, um, uh, with pediatric ophthalmology, children's eye care, and the establishment of the um, Orbis International telemedicine program, which we call Cybersight.
1: Uh-huh. And I noticed you've been doing this in China, India, and other countries of the world. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and have you done very much with Orbis here in the United States, or is it just primarily focusing where countries don't have the, what we have available here?
3: Orbis uh, is involved both in, in the United States um, uh, and uh, in, in the developing world. Uh, mm-hmm. But our involvement in the United States is primarily to uh, enlist the aid of uh, fellow um, eye care okay. professionals mm-hmm. to become involved with overseas work. So, our, our our work in the United States is recruitment and and um, and um, organization, and our work overseas is uh, uh, to to uh, engage in efforts to reduce and we hope to el- eliminate preventable blindness.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, I want to ask you now if a doctor wanted to participate, and they were ears, eyes, nose, throat type of doctor, do they have to be an eye ophthalmologist or refractive eye surgeon or optometrist
3: well all of our all of our volunteer faculty are eye health care providers in, in, um, uh, of, of one kind so they 're either all ophthalmologists or orthoptists, and we have optometrists. We also have um, anesthesiologists who who are very important to our program, particularly on the plane.
1: Okay, okay. I wanted to mention to you, I'm really glad to hear about the pediatric. And uh, today, when I interrupt once in a while, it's because I'll I'll be thinking about something and before you move to the next thought that our audience will be able to, I'll I'll represent that thought. And I might interrupt you once in a while.
3: That's perfectly right. My wife says I talk too much anyway. No,
1: no, no, no. I, uh, it's, uh, that's part of radio talk because you've got an audience listening, and they might have a question, and we'll move on before we get that thought. Sure. Um, now, you mentioned something about that I'm very much concerned about with my field and my studies is the pediatric side. Um, I want to welcome everyone uh, to think about this. Um, what is happening to the youth when they're born, and and uh, health education with the eyes? Well, have you learned that there's very much at all? The, Let's uh, say they're they're beginning a life in or on Earth with their parents, and what's the health education about taking care of your eyes today? We, uh,
3: I, I look at it this way: uh, the the a child is is born uh, with all good luck and statistics behind them uh... to have normal eyes but immature eyes that must develop into um, into normal adult functioning now this takes place rather rapidly uh... so we expect the child's eyes to be normal what we're doing now primarily with our education for parents to um... uh... to be very alert and careful to look for the signs of significant health disease in their children, which is relatively uncommon, but is desperately severe when it does occur.
1: Yes, in fact, um, now, let's enjoy educating, um, and I've said to the listeners, and every show will always say this, and you can help with that, be open-minded, be very evaluating, and notice things. Don't make an opinion. So then you notice them quicker um, if you're not running around thinking about all kinds of other things going on. Now with the eyes, with our children being born, and, uh, and Dr. Halbertson, I've said, because my field is hydrotherapy, water therapy, and dehydration, hydration, is the moment you're born and you entered the air you breathe, you left a pocket of water, you were sucked up like a suction cup in that moment, now we're being born. The children are being born in forced air, heat, heating and cooling, insulated walls in a delivery room that's as tight as can be, no moisture. They open their eyelid and that eye is open to the world because when the eyelid is not covering the eye, it's exposed to all that's going on. They go home and the environment at the house, at the home, and around the parents and where they go and where they take that baby, parents need to learn something. First of all, what do you do? What are some of the signals or some of the things you might consider with a baby? Are they getting enough sleep today? Are babies sleeping the way they used to nap long ago? Remember they had frequent naps yes. in the older days. What are you learning that might be a key from, let's just start out at, right at the beginning with parents to think and other doctors to think to ask questions of their patients? With maybe a baby leaving the hospital,
3: at the, at the very <clears throat> at the very beginning, and the first thing that that should be uh, should be observed is um, are, are are the corneas clear and glistening and bright, and do they have the proper tear film layer? Um, are they free of any mucus or any uh, purulent material? Uh, uh, that would be evidence of an early onset uh, oh, infection. the baby,
1: yeah, so then of course a lot of people haven 't understood the tear film. I learned that long ago. Uh, doctor, what is a tear film? It's, explain what the tear film, how they could look at the eye and and recognize the tear film on an in, on an infant's eye.
3: Well, the tear film is is necessary to maintain the absolute clarity of the eye uh, the 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 tear film is seen. Um, really, it's totally transparent, uh, but it is the thing that maintains the perfect clarity of the eye. And In the infant's eye, the cornea is beautiful and clear.
1: Like that glistening you said, if, if the tear film is healthy enough, it will glisten, not look too dry.
3: It will not, not look too dry and, and, dry at and all. mottled looking. So that's that 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 that's important. That uh, is
1: important for them to learn. And how many parents do you think never knew that? Um, all. Uh huh. That's where I'm coming from. So the moment you left that hospital, where's the brochure about this? Okay, let's let's do something about that. But uh, okay, now they're going to learn how to be watching for certain um, evaluate, watching and evaluating. So when a baby has, what are some of the symptoms, let's say, that are not healthy that they could notice besides that particular one?
3: Well, the single most important um, sign uh, that is a, is a red flag for danger would be a white reflex that would be coming back, a cat's eye type reflex that would be coming back from the eye mm-hmm. uh, called a tapetal reflex. Mm-hmm. And that is evidence that there's something uh, large and relatively large and, and whitish inside the eye that 's reflecting the light back that is the single most dangerous sign that can be present in a newborn
1: now is that how common would that be uh, Is it becoming more common than the past, or is it just once in a while you find that
3: it's, it, it I can tell you statistically it happens. Um, a, 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 when it's signing for a retinoblastoma, which is a malignant tumor of the inside of the eye, about once in every uh, eighteen to twenty thousand children, so it's not common. However, well, there on are other One to others.
1: eighteen to twenty thousand children yeah. around the world, that, yeah. is a, that is a growing, that's a number that could grow. Well,
3: that, no, that, that's, that's a lot, and it's, it's particularly important because uh, this is what the, this condition, uh, this particular tumor is called the genetic lethal, and that is if it's not treated, the patient, the child will die.
1: Now let's say it's not detected and the child does the, can grow with it. What It could grow into becoming an adult adult later and find it later because it wasn't detected uh, young enough.
3: Well, that doesn't happen because, as I said, being a genetic lethal, it it, it grows into a a large fungating lesion, metastasizes, and the children usually die before they're five.
1: Okay, let's do something now, too. I think this is a good one Um, because I'm very much involved with plastic optics. What is the symptom that they could watch around the eye with the eyelid and, and skin around the eye? Is there anything there that would give off a, a, a detection that there's something? Is the a, a child squinting more? Is the child? Uh, what, is, what do you think might be happening there, if there's any, that they could recognize that maybe the child is having a hard time focusing or seeing?
3: Well, it, in, in in a slightly older child, I mean, in in preschool age and, and, and the like, uh, children may squint in order to see more clearly in the distance. Um, from if they happen to be nearsighted, if they squint and and make their their the, the light coming into the eye closer to a pinhole, like the old pinhole camera, uh, then they can see more clearly in the distance. However, it's it's pretty common that children who who don't see well are not all that aware that they can't see well because they've had nothing to compare it with. They think maybe everybody sees that way.
1: You know, uh, I'll, I know she won't mind me mentioning this, you know, you know Dr. Marguerite McDonald. Yes, I do. Well, Marguerite has been on the show, Yep. and she's a friend. And uh, she, when she was a little one, they didn't, her parents didn't know she had eyesight trouble. Yep. And they didn't know what we know today. And, of course, do we educate that much today from young children? And she had one time walked into a pond um, that uh, was at a shopping center, and her parents looked over, and somebody had saved her out of that pond as a little one, and her parents were just shocked why she didn't see the pond. Well, she had adapted with her parents, guiding her, adapted, and they didn't know she had an eyesight problem. Did you know that?
3: Very interesting. I didn't know that about her, but I do. uh, I have many, many stories uh, about... uh, Young patients who uh, uh, who have come to us uh, we 've treated them, given them glasses, and they said, "Oh my goodness, there are leaves on trees
1: i isn 't that so amazing because we 're not noticing it's guess uh, here we're here we 're giving birth, we have so much going on that 's why this show because this way we can become the reminders we can yeah. become the educators now, going forward. Um, uh, what are you finding now here in our country before we move into the other parts of the world you've been going? What are some of the things that our country parents should be thinking about uh, with our children uh, at what age and in certain things to to try to watch for?
3: Well, the, the children come in, in in several eras. At the beginning, we, we covered briefly some of the ideas about the newborn. You, the, mm-hmm. you should look at the child's eyes. They should glisten. Um, the, the um the openings, so the palpebral openings or the, the eyelids should be at the proper level and they should mm-hmm. be equal. Uh, the eyes should be aligned and, and the, the, the child should be able to look at and focus on the, on the mothers or fathers or some <clears throat> human face uh, within a few weeks. Um, the eyes should be still and not dance and move around. Uh, <clears throat> they should look dry. They should almost glisten like there's a little yeah.
1: watery effect. Yep.
3: Uh, there should not be excess water and no, tears running no. down the cheek, no. which is a sign of lacrimal tear duct obstruction. But
1: when we say glisten, what yeah. we mean is it shouldn't look too dry. It should no, have it should a very mo- nice. yeah, let's say moist. Moist. That's, that's moist. a good word. Yeah, that's a better word. Yeah. Then, then as as
3: as the child um, uh, as the child starts to sit up and then begin to walk, the eyes should move in all the directions clearly. Uh, they they should be free of any redness or apparent irritation. Um, the child should be aware of things and picking things up. And um, then, uh, once they've gotten over that period and they're doing all right, um, you've probably dodged the first bullet, so to speak, and there's no white reflexes and there's no evidence of cataracts or tumors and so forth. Then, it's important during the preschool era to um, have visual acuity checked so that you can be sure that you're not missing some nearsightedness and so forth. Uh, and then, um, glasses should be prescribed if they're needed, um, you know, as, as soon as, as as soon as the uh, doctor thinks they're needed, and this can be sometimes as young as uh, two years old um, in certain instances, and three, four, and five, and before school. So that's that's basically the um, the the um, uh, the course of action on the part of parents. But I think your point is well taken that observation, look at the child. See what they're doing. Uh, and we do have a brochure showing the 10 warning signs of significant eye disease in childhood uh, that parents can be familiar with. This had been um, uh, circulated by the American Academy of Ophthalmology Foundation. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, this. This has been a, a useful piece of information is that, new,
1: is that a new one in the past year or two
3: no this has been this has been around for a while uh, You
1: sent me the information. what is some of the most important things you think it would be important for education with the uh, uh academy and I brought up children 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 <laughs>
3: yes yes well that 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 uh, uh, that that brochure was available i i it I think it still is available at well, the, at the american academy of right. ophthalmology
1: okay now um let's say parents beware. Take time to look at your child when they're talking to you uh, about lots of other things, but also be aware of when you're talking to them, they're looking at you and they're looking you in the eye when they're talking so that you can then do what we say, evaluate, just briefly. It's not an intention. It's just a passing constant uh, good habit. Now, when they get older uh, here in the United States in this industrialized country, and, and we've got a lot to offer, now you decided that this was necessary in other, other parts of the world. So you were the, uh, became part of the founder group of Orbis. Tell us about Orbis.
3: Well, Orbis, as you said earlier, has been around for a little over 25 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the goal of Orbis starting out and really continuing today is to provide training and support to build capacity which is sustainable for better eye care treatment and prevention uh, around the world. And if you looked at it this way, there are 160,000 ophthalmologists in the world, and about another half a million or so eye healthcare professionals who are supportive. About 80,000 of these ophthalmologists are in the developed countries, United States, uh, Japan, Canada the UK, Australia, and so forth, Western Europe, um, who are considered the haves. They have the education and the equipment and the wherewithal. Uh-huh. The, there are the other 80,000 uh, eye healthcare providers are in the developing world where they don't have the, the educational um, um, opportunities, they don't have the equipment, they don't have the advocacy and support, uh-huh. and they don't have an enlightened population. And those 80,000 in the developing world are the, the people who we intend to help.
1: Mm-hmm. So um, how many people do you have? How many doctors do you have? As, and this is all volunteer, or do they get any reimbursements, or is this all volunteer? Uh,
3: we, we have approximately 500 volunteer faculty, uh, mostly in the United States but in, in many other parts of the world, uh, India, the UK, Canada, um, Japan, uh, and so forth. Uh, so they, we have 500, and they all function entirely as, as volunteers.
1: Uh-huh. Now, when you decide to go to where, let's say you go into India, uh, are the doctors there uh, participating with you, of course, in the field? Uh, when you arrive, you're going there to give an assistance.
3: Yes. What, what, what happens, we have, uh, Orbis has uh, permanent uh, full-time staff, in, in five areas of the world, in Ethiopia, India, Bangladesh, China, and Vietnam, mm-hmm. what happens is the, the the office the country office or the regional office of Orbus uh, will uh, communicate with doctors, clinics, facilities in, in a given country or region uh, and will uh, find out what kind of help they might need. Mm-hmm. And then working with the partners and, and with the Orbis uh, headquarters in New York, mm-hmm. uh, who in turn works with the volunteer faculty, we put together programs uh, that, that are educational and service-oriented uh, to, to meet a specific need uh, in, in, in the given country.
1: We're going to take uh, a break, and we're going to come right back and and go uh, further. Uh, We need to listen to our sponsor, but we'll come back, and then we want to hear what is happening with some of the symptoms and other parts of the world that we need to learn. Uh, We'll be right back. Uh, We're going to listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Dr. Helveston.
2: To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068.
1: Dr. Helveston, let's teach our listeners that we're learning a lot about here in our country, what you've just described, a lot of the evaluations that all parents should be um, taking during uh, when the, ch- the young person's living at home don't take the eyes for granted because it's the vision of the earth and uh, health. Um, I've had doctors on here too, Dr. Helveton, who have said that the eyes are affecting dry mouth and uh, allergies and by far more and than people ever noticed or thought about or had been educated. Uh, these are other doctors and other professions that they knew that when the eyes are dry, it begins to affect more. When you've traveled to other countries of the world and, Doctor, we have something happening here in China. We have the Olympics coming and the environmental concerns. Um, what have you learned in China with the children when you've gone there to work and help with the doctors there? Well, Chinese children
3: um, uh, tend to have a much much more nearsightedness um, than than in, than in other countries. So as many as fifteen percent of Chinese children by the um, uh, by the mid teens uh, will require spectacle correction for this nearsightedness.
1: That's, so that's why we see so many people in Asia wearing glasses.
3: That is correct.
1: Okay, and it's because of that pollution.
3: Uh, n- uh, well, we're, we're not sure whether it's genetic, uh, whether it, it has to do with how they use their eyes, uh, um, or
1: dry uh, air. Yeah.
3: Uh, or well, I don't know, <laughs> or, or dry air. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, but they just have a lot of it.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, one thing we're c- they're c- concerned about, and I've talked to different ones around the world, is uh, because the air is so dry. Uh, as many of the athletes are already commenting. Uh, that um, they're noticing how dry their eyes are, uh, and is affecting their uh, comprehension. And so one of the doctors said too that'll also c- uh, c- affect the brain. That if you're uh, complaining about your eyes and they're dry, now with children in China, what do you, so you go in and what? Let's say you go in with your uh, team of volunteer doctors. What 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 is your what do you do? What do you what, where do you go? What do you do? Do you set up clinics or do you go into their clinics? And work with them. You're not setting up any probably clinic of your own. Uh, you're setting going in to assist other doctors with their overload, probably. Well,
3: what we what we do is is uh, being primarily a teaching organization. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to work with first of all find out what's going on mm-hmm. where we where we mm-hmm. visit. I mean, what is the standard of care? What are the doctors doing? What equipment do they have? How much access do they have to their patients, and so forth? Then, looking at that, we try our very best to pick out, particularly some key or several key um, um, doctors, and try to train them in the in the best way that we can in what we think are the proper and the, and the most acceptable ways of carrying out practice for uh-huh. diagnosing and treating children. And so, so we basically we want to teach them. How, how to go about what we've been doing and taking for granted in this country for a long time. Mm-hmm. Teach them the ethical, um, technical, um, and all of the various aspects of, of mm-hmm. care so that they can pass this on to their, to their colleagues and their students. We want to create that atmosphere of learning and providing better care, mm-hmm. increase now, capacity and make it sustainable.
1: Yeah, something that went through my mind as you were talking, doctor, is... Um, uh, something that is, I think, uh, this is going to be a leading question, but you probably may know, will know how to answer it. In the United States, are they the most aggressive in eye care research, eye care equipment, eye care technologies? Well, no question. I, 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 I wouldn't. I bet no one has ever thought of that before because uh, this country is, um, uh, is very aggressive in, the, in that field. Uh, and Tell us some of the latest things you have been finding that are really very exciting that they have been doing with children and, and how to test them and, and, and let's say not only in our country but testing uh, types of tests that have been done around the world to, to be able to understand what that symptom is of the person that you maybe never noticed before, even so if you were a perfect parent and, and thought everything was fine. And then found there was a particular test. What are some of the tests?
3: Well, the, the, uh, other than observation, there's there's no huge there's no huge breakthroughs. As observation far as is tests. still the best, huh? Observation <laughs> is still the best. But I will tell you that there are some important breakthroughs, in the, and that is in in the area of, of premature children, children born around two pounds plus or minus, uh, who who are now surviving. Uh, on a regular basis in the United States and much, much more in uh, the developing countries mm-hmm. where it's extremely important to, to be able to, 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 to be involved in the lives and the eyes of these children early on with, with accurate examination and with, with proper treatment technique, mm-hmm. which will really save a child from a life of blindness
1: yeah.
3: and, and allow a life of vision.
1: Yeah, you know, years ago I was brought into studying, and they said that there could be a future generation of blindness. And I said, "What are you thinking?" And they said, "Because the area is getting so dry, and t- t- uh, and people are uh, not noticing young enough that their their eyes are having a, a, let's let's just be common sense a difficulty that they're not noticing." And when you mentioned the observation. Um, Years ago, I said to the doctors and my team and other teams when I spoke, don't look at the patient, don't look at the chart before you look at the patient. In other words, don't look at the paperwork, look at the patient first and notice that observation. And, and there's, that's a skill of taking a moment to take a look. And uh, parents should do that too. But when you go in for your examination, uh, that is something that all doctors, I'm sure, are doing. Now, um, I want to ask you another leading question with pediatrics because Orbit Orbit is doing a tremendous amount of work all over the world, and they're probably even flying in and climbing mountains to do this. Am I wrong? Uh,
3: Well, we're flying in. I haven't climbed a mountain recently. You know,
1: what I was thinking about is I've had different reports where some of the doctors would fly in, but they have to hike in.
3: Oh, well, we, 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 stay, we stay pretty near the airport. I, stay I pretty
1: near the airport.
3: In, I did some hiking in Nepal, but that was just... There somewhere.
1: we go. It was Nepal. I'm thinking um, the doctors that have gone, yes, it was Nepal, and uh, they oh, hike in and before we move on to my next question, what did you see in Nepal? Because I guess there's an altitude that is affecting eyesight. Am I wrong?
3: Yeah. It's it's well, they're 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 totally acclimated to that. What I saw in Nepal were the most incredible bats I ever saw in my life. Bats? A bats that are that are bigger than basketballs. Oh my goodness! But that was just a sidelight. I watched I watched them around, oh my the, around the palace. You observed. They, they take about 45 minutes to unwind, and they fly off and come back. Oh. But what I observed there most Mostly, uh, the, the most exciting thing that I saw was going hiking back into into the hinterlands and visiting a, a leper colony uh-huh. and doing a complete um, well being part of a team that did a complete evaluation of of the eye health state eye health status of this of this group of um, sorry for that ring uh, of this group in, in the in the leper colony and it was fascinating uh-huh. to see. The the beautiful beautiful children unaffected, and then other family members and parents affected. But when I did come home, my wife made me undress in the hallway oh. and leave my clothes. <laughs> oh. she she was uh, she was she was being extra careful. But that... yeah,
1: well, you have to be careful when anybody travels around the world. Yes. Uh, that uh, and that's something else, listeners. That you have to be prepared, knowing if you're going to change from city to city, or in our own country, from New York to Arizona, uh, and transfer, go around the world on plane and long distances, that you've got to be prepared to study before you go so you can take good care of yourself. And that was smart that you came home and shed uh, what you've been doing and, and, and start afresh.
3: Well, I did, and I also got off the plane in Quito, Ecuador, mm-hmm. full, of, full of energy and vigor, and I raced about 200 yards and I just started gasping, and I realized I was at about 1,300 feet.
1: There we go. That's what I was talking about, altitude. There's something about altitudes that are very... Well, Yeah,
3: um, you don't get as much oxygen.
1: Exactly. Now, I'm going to bring up something that is so concerning yes. for me and to many, and I've had doctors on here, is the computer. Yes. Um, our baby is born. Our baby opens the eyelid. The baby begins to live. And becomes a toddler, and now we're getting them in front of the TV set, but we're also getting them in front of a computer. What is your education about that?
3: Well, I I, I don't know. I'm 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 an old guy, and I kind of came into computers uh, at, at this this sort of uh, senior part of my life, and I spend hours and hours and hours in front of the computer, and um, I, I think that it's absolutely important to. to Keep blinking, don't, don't stare, um, keep yourself moving, don't get, it, don't get yourself into a, um, a repetitive, constant motion that's just the same kind. You've got to vary yourself and vary your posture. Um, and, and if you have to be, and, and don't be there any more than you have to be
1: there. Talking about our young ones, you know, I've had Dr. Robert Lankiney on here, and you probably know him. And uh, that the, uh, he's an ophthalmologist specializes in dry eye. And he said these children have to be highly educated yep. uh, when they're going on a computer for the first time. They need their habits right from the beginning. Yep. And uh, to blink, uh, of course, we have Nature's, he mentioned he uh, recommends, and so does Dr. McDonald, Nature's Tears eye mist, to keep your eyes moist, your eyes, to keep it moist and uh, then drink water, lots of water, take a break, go out and get some fresh air. But these parents, um, you know, they think it's kind of fun, and the children are playing games that way at young lives. Yeah. So all of a sudden, these children are young starting these habits they've got, and you're very much specialized in pediatrics, and that's why I wondered what you were thinking, because I know in other parts of the world with Orbis, when they're going in, they're not thinking about the computer. But with your background so extensive with children uh, and eyesight, what can you do if you can't see and you are one of those percentages that are going blind every second on the globe um, um, because you're not getting the education you should be receiving. Something else that is important I want to ask you is what, what is your thinking about the a child's nutrition and their health of their eyes. Is there anything in there that you'd have a education about?
3: Well, the, the 75% of the blindness in the developing world is preventable, and, and the majority of this preventable blindness is caused by vitamin A deficiency.
1: Okay, let's back up on this, because you know the percentages are going blind all over the world. that has been reported. Yep. So you say 75% could be preventable.
3: 75, yes, three-quarters wow. of the blind. Not only that, is that 60% of children who are blind before age two die before age
1: six. Oh, my goodness.
3: Yes, so blindness, the the, the things that go along with blindness uh, can be very, 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 Detrimental.
1: Now, that doesn't have to be just a remote area of the world. That could be almost any family of the world if there's some weakness.
3: Well, it can happen. Well, it can. It, it happens primarily in sub-Saharan Africa, okay. India, areas of rural China, and
1: so on. Okay, forth. okay. Now, uh, vitamin A. So, let's say here we are, Our listeners all over the world are listening, uh, and that after the show is over, it's archived, and people from all over the world can listen anytime they want. Uh, let's say vitamin A. Now, supplements are not always as easily. So, what would you eat to get vitamin A? Are you familiar with that?
3: Well, you'd eat fresh vegetables. You'd, you'd eat fresh um,
1: vegetables.
3: You'd eat rice that uh, that that would be natural rice, whole grain, whole grain wheat. Mhm. Uh, th- those are, those are the primary sources of vitamin A.
1: Okay, so then they know fresh vegetables, not canned. Yes. And uh, make sure they're clean. Yep. Okay, and of course, lots of water.
3: Yeah, well, and, but you need, but you also, uh, you also need whole grain rice too. Whole grain rice. Whole grain is, rice is, is very important.
1: Very important to add to your yes. everyday thinking. Yes, and of yes. course, yes. would that ever end? Just because we're talking about our children, our uh, pediatric side of this, this goes on for the rest of your life. Well, oh, that's
3: right. That that goes on for the rest of your life, but it's particularly important during the formative years. Uh uh-huh. That's that is that's essential. Uh, yeah, you can have problems. You can have problems any time in life, but during those formative years, a proper nutrition and diet, uh, vaccination for rubella, avoidance of traditional medicine because there's a lot of there's a lot of traditional medicine practitioners out there who do crazy things, put mud in the eye and do things like that. So those are things to avoid also.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, our listeners should understand they need to do what we've said the, during the show evaluate use your common sense yes. and learn.
3: That's exactly and right. And
1: because the eyesight is your life it's your vision. Uh, you know uh, I've often said with the water research that I do that the water of the world is looking up at the world with a vision of of a mirror. Yes. Well without your eyesight there t- for your health and all that you have to offer if you can't see it causes a handicap that that you can't imagine until it actually happens. Mm-hmm. So you've said today the prevention of that is adding some of these educational factors we've talked about on this show is really a good show today. Right, you've taught us so much because they've got to begin as a child. If they're if they're an adult listening, dive in and start learning. That's right. Learn, and uh, well, I want to thank all of you for what you're doing and. Um, Uh, You know, uh, uh, before you go, what I could think about, you're probably close to my age. I'm 66. and
3: I'm a lot older than you. You're (laughs) older.
1: But do you remember the first television set and our parents said, don't sit close? (laughs) Yeah. Yep, I do. And then you're sitting at a computer all day. Yeah. You know, and uh, the concern we have is education. Yep. We want people to evaluate. Yes, drink a lot of water because you're made up of those 50 trillion cells and the moisture in the air is vital. But uh, good common sense, good evaluations, theorize and enjoy. Don't listen to everything without going and evaluating. And today this was common sense. This is good education. I want to thank you for your volunteer time and everybody, what they're doing. And I would like to all make arrangements to see if we can get that brochure posted too uh, sure. uh, with, the, with the editing of this show because we'll editorialize this besides it goes on live but it, uh, with, uh, with this. But it, it'll also be editorialized, and we'll make sure that people can get that brochure. Okay. Well, you have a nice day. Well, you did. Thank you very and much I hope you do this again, because I'm sure we're going to have some questions. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, isn't that something? I know we've had Dr. Marguerite McDonald, who's one of the founders of iLASIK. We've had Dr. Robert Lankini, who uh, specializes in dry eye and has written the dry eye remedy. Now we've had the doctor here, um, Helverston, who has committed his whole life to concerns of children and pediatrics welfare, of vision. And we have learned and had reported, and you'll find it on our site and how to go find it, that every five seconds on the globe, somebody is going blind. Now what is causing this? Lack of education. He just said 75% of this could be prevented with better education. And better treatment, better checkups, quicker. So let's learn more. Listen to this show carefully, and you will learn what he has evaluated. Seventy-five percent of the blindness could be proven to maybe eventually not happen uh, because if we learn enough. Let's do this together. Let's be researchers together. Evaluate yourself. Evaluate. Help out if you see a child that's not even your own, someone that that you don't know well. All of a sudden you're noticing something. Share that. Share it with a concern, just a, just a, a light concern of evaluation. Watch yourself. Wow, what a show. Well, we're going to listen to our sponsor, and we're going to be right back with Art Bernstein, and we're going to talk about one of those rivers that I'm so concerned about all over the world, those rivers that we need to protect. We're going to listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back.
0: World Talk Radio. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears I missed an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you.
2: To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America 866 866- or if outside the USA and Canada dial 001 858-268-3068
1: Art, are you with us? Hello? Art, are you with us? I am. Wonderful. Um, I don't know if you were able to listen but uh, my goodness did we learn a lot today. Um, You're going to teach us about uh, what is our subject today?
4: Um, Nothing about rivers.
1: Oh, I thought you were going (laughs) to do one of my endangered rivers.
4: No, we were going to talk about uh, southwestern Ontario, which is uh, the only portion of Canada which is south of the United States. And Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting area. It's a peninsula that, that juts into Lake Erie.
1: Okay. So you are going to be discussing is it seawater or fresh water?
4: Uh, fresh water. freshwater? Uh right freshwater. Freshwater kinda of polluted in uh, the
1: peninsula of Ontario, Canada.
4: Well Ontario is the biggest Canadian province, but the mm-hmm. uh it's got this peninsula
3: mm-hmm.
4: sort of sticking off the bottom of it. That's it's mm-hmm. uh, that just under Detroit and uh sort of under uh so it's the to get to Canada from Detroit, you head south.
1: From Detroit, Michigan, from the United
4: States. Yeah.
1: Okay. Now the peninsula, and, uh, of fresh uh, about water. forty that
4: miles from Detroit mm-hmm. is the pointiest peninsula. The pointiest point. I mean, you've heard of points, right? Point Explain point that p- to our audience. Well, Point Pelee is the pointiest point I've ever seen.
1: What does a point mean?
4: Uh, a point of land sticking out into the water.
1: Okay. It's got a. a, a it's got a. A, a body of land that's got land, soil out into the water. Right. The, yeah, water the, the peninsula and sticks point. off
4: the peninsula is this point.
1: Okay, I and see. It sticks lessons. out into Lake Erie. Okay, so of all, and, and this, this is around North America, it has the greatest point of land out into a body of water than anywhere.
4: Well, it's it's a it's a very sharp point, point. Mm-hmm. and you you can walk out on the point, and it uh, I mean it, it it literally disappears into the water as a mm-hmm. pinprick. Hmm. I mean, that's how sharp a point it is. And I went there in the winter once, and, and the reason is that there's there's two currents meeting in opposite directions at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's swirling water in one direction, and then there's swirling water in another direction, and they all just sort of continually build up this long, sinuous point that trails off into the lake. It's almost like a little whirlpool. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and if you go there in the winter... The two the two colliding currents uh, put build up these huge piles of ice all over the place. Really, very 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 interesting.
1: Very thick ice. Pardon? Thick ice.
4: Oh yeah, like several feet. Uh, My
1: in, goodness. In so that's between uh, that's uh, between the United States and Canada.
4: It's about 40 miles uh, east of Detroit.
1: Now, what is it doing? It's doing that out at the point because the point goes so far the, into the deeper part of the water where it's going to yeah. be colder. Yeah. What about at the shore? Do they have very thick ice there, too? Uh,
4: yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh, and then it's just, it just washes out does that out of the reach shore over toward the border blocks.
1: of the United States?
4: Pardon? Does it reach
1: to the border of the United States?
4: No, it's about 40 miles away.
1: Okay. Now, does that have any influence on the Great Lakes in the United States?
4: It absolutely does. Yeah, it's in, it's in Lake Erie, which is one of the great lakes. But the interesting thing about it is uh, above the point are some marshes, and it's uh, one of the most diverse uh, bird habitats in the world. Hmm. And then 10 miles away is the Jack Minor Bird Sanctuary, which was the first bird sanctuary in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was founded in, in uh, 1906.
1: Now, they go there for the winter or they go, uh, wh- when do they migrate there?
4: They, uh in the spring and fall. Spring and fall. Yeah.
1: Okay, uh, so, uh, and then what is it? Do they have humidity there? Is, there, is it humid? I don't know
4: what it is. I don't know if it's the marches. I don't know whether it's, you know, it's just located uh, just in the right place on the flyways.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: But uh, this guy Jack Miner in 1906 uh, recognized it.
1: Uh-huh. He discovered
4: it. And uh, yeah, and he 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 set up his farm as what became. Oh. He's the founder of, of conservation in the world. Uh, oh,
1: how fascinating. For, you ought to post that when we're all done, yeah. where the people um, could go study him that would be fascinated.
4: And he has seen, now, what is
1: Canada doing to protect that lake?
4: You know, Henry Ford came out and visited him, and Ty Cobb, and all these famous people at the turn of the century.
1: Fascinating. Now, what are they doing? And I know Canada's got a very good reputation because it's so much land yeah. um, to protect their waters. Uh, I'm sure they're protecting that water.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, the water is critical. They're all wetlands. They're, they're mm-hmm. marshes. And mm-hmm. Minor was kind of weird. He, he 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 loved waterfowl, mm-hmm. but he hated birds of prey, and he especially hated crows. And he he was a devout Christian, so he hated birds that weren't monogamous. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He didn't if, want them if, it, to predate on each other. If cheated on their wives, you know, he he didn't like them. He didn't yeah. like what? <laughs> he didn't like birds that cheated on their wives.
1: Okay, so he didn't want anybody, and he wanted he didn't want a bird that predatorized on another bird. Yeah,
4: so he was sort of imposing his own values on the bird, well, yeah. which have no values. Yeah. Well,
1: but he might have been concerned about uh, two birds fighting. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and I guess uh, he, you've he, seen he birds grows. get upset with each other.
4: Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, it's sad. It's, yeah. it's frightening.
4: I mean, I like waterfowl better than uh, except I, I love bald eagles. Mhm-huh so, so
1: yeah that's they're absolutely pristine and and of course osprey,
4: yeah, but
1: now, uh, back to Ontario and that water um when does the when does the ice melt what time of year
4: uh spring, March, and April mm-hmm.
1: so if a person wants to go to Canada and go view this all that uh and and see the that bird sanctuary they they could go uh, probably about this time of year and still see uh, the ice thick, and and then they could go, uh, or if they went another time of year, the ice would be all melted and they'd see that pristine water. Yeah,
4: I'm the only person I know that's ever been to Point Peewee in the middle of winter. Most people would consider that a stupid thing to do.
1: So what, why was it stupid?
4: Because uh, the weather's bad and because it's cold out and because in the summer it's a beautiful beach.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: So they said, "Why would you go in the winter when it's all frozen?" Oh,
1: so they were evaluating. (laughs) Why do you? (laughs) So did you wear a lot of
4: clothes? (laughs) Uh, It was cold. It was. The roads are fine, but it Uh was really cold.
1: Now, of course, was there a lot of snow on the roads? Uh, not that day. Just very cold. Yeah. Dry cold. Yeah. Sounds almost Antarctica.
4: (laughs) Um. I'm teasing. Uh, you know, because it's it would very be very cold.
1: cold to get the water that uh, the ice to get that thick.
4: Yeah.
1: Okay. Now, in the Ontario area, other than the water, what is what is they known for?
4: Um. it's uh, just a it's a, a just a gore. The, the, the nearest town is called Kingsville,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and uh, a fellow named Hiram Walker lived in Kingsville,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and he was the uh, the whiskey. Now, you've heard of Hiram oh, Walker,
1: Walker uh, wh- um, yeah, yeah. what's it called, uh, yeah.
4: Yeah, he lived, he had a great big estate and he ran a hotel in Kingsville, Ontario. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was again, a very
1: famous uh, location besides the water.
4: Yeah, Henry Ford and Ty Cobb and uh Johnny Thomas Walker, Edison wasn't were, it you know, called Johnny
1: whiskey? Walker Whiskey? Pardon? What's his name, Johnny Walker?
4: Hiram Walker.
1: Hiram Walker.
4: Hmm. I don't know whether he's related to Johnny Walker or not. But, yeah. Uh...
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Anyway, that was uh, Kingsville, Ontario, which mm-hmm. is the nearest town to the uh, to the bird sanctuary. And mm-hmm. to-
1: Canada is so beautiful; um, it is so the territory is so expansive that and all the waters. And now, did this particular area have a lot of waterfalls?
4: Uh, no. What's really interesting is if you go a hundred miles north, you end up on the Bruce Peninsula, which. Mm-hmm. Uh, Separates Georgian Bay and Lake Huron. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And there's something called uh, Fathom Five uh, National Park. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole bunch of little islands. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which I've been to called Flowerpot Island. Mm-hmm. And uh, you take the boat out from the tip of the peninsula to, to Flowerpot Island. Mm -hmm. Um, Now,
1: are you seeing a lot when you're out there on the boat and you're seeing a lot of mountains,
4: uh, gorgeous trees? The bottom of Lake Huron at that point is this white limestone, Mm -hmm. and it looks like a swimming pool.
1: Oh my it's goodness!
4: It's just incredible, and then oh, it has these incredible. islands coming out of them, and, and the, the reflection islands, of the uh, sky and the water. on them, and then they have limestone cliffs all around.
1: Art, can there's, you imagine? Caves well, you you got to see it. I can imagine the reflection of the sky and the
4: water. Oh yeah, it's just just the whole oh. area is just breathtaking.
1: Now tell us again. We only have a moment
4: left. Well, the entire time I lived in Detroit, I never met anyone that ever went to the Bruce Peninsula or Flowerpot Island or Point Pelee.
1: My goodness. Well, they lost your gain. Yeah. That's why we got you on. Yeah, exactly. Well, I have to go and I thank you that I'm I'm glad you did that and the name of the lake is called what? Lake Erie. Lake Erie. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. You have a nice day. That uh, was a wonderful
4: something. I like always. That.
1: Thank you, Art. Have a nice day. Bye. Well, listeners, um, during the show today and every day, we want you to evaluate what global warming is. What is it? From the beginning of time, the evaluation is Earth has been changing. The one thing we didn't learn to do ourselves with Earth and even research is evaluate the moment's change. Like a scientist told us recently, moment to moment. Remember, don't be thinking that's the only way. That isn't just a crisis. It's evaluating what can we do to move on. Watch yourself. Learn to get to know how special you are. Because once you learn, you're going to be open to learning more about your own health and how you're breathing and how you're sleeping and how you're eating. And live on the earth today and then tomorrow. Just remember, you're that special. We're on this together. All of us all over the world, we're together. And that's what we're doing here. It's bringing us together. Earth has a secret. Embrace your moment, every precious moment to moment. Earth whispers, never say goodbye. Thank you for listening.
0: Talk Radio, bringing the world to you.